Yes, it's emergency podcast time again. No sooner have we recorded a podcast than, yes, something absurd happens that makes it out of date. In this case, it was Theresa May taking a kneecapping over her Chequers proposals at the EU meeting in Salzburg yesterday, Thursday. They do it to us deliberately, don't they, Ian? They do, they do indeed. And the worst part is that we're here at the British Library, which is almost exactly where we recorded two sets of emergency podcasts in a row. Yes. <laughs> that's and I feel that's a bit cursed, seeing as Theresa May is about to make her Downing Street announcement. Absolutely. Well, this is it. I mean, she's going to make a Downing Street announcement of some sort. You've got to get on a train. Yes, and which is why we're doing it now rather than later. Yes. <laughs> so the whole thing is prone for disaster. Assuming for a moment that Theresa May is not going to just stand up and say, screw the lot of you. Yeah. Um, first of all, what happened yesterday in Salzburg that is... What happened? Come on. Um, so nothing changed in terms of objective reality. Um, they've always been quite clear that you can't really get anywhere with checkers on its own. Because checkers really just takes the goods part of the single market and acts like you can have that bit. The reason Theresa May proposes that is not because she likes it, it's basically because it's the only way that you can join up around the back of the backstop proposal for Ireland and actually make sure that you have some kind of system that keeps the UK together while satisfying that aspect of it. It's never been a goer. We've always known that. Everyone from every perspective on this thing knows it's not a goer. We've presumed that even in Downing Street they know it's not a goer. Europe's words on it, they've always been very clear it's not going to work, but they're usually a bit more conciliatory, a bit more positive, because they're trying to shore up her support at home. Yesterday, something changed. Their language became much tougher. There's a few people out there saying, well, actually, nothing changed yesterday. It's the same along the lines of what they did before. Looking at it in context, it was a much more bruising encounter than she was expecting or that they had led her to believe she would get. We're not entirely sure why. It seems that she really quite badly misjudged the speech she made to them. 10-minute speech she made at the end of their dinner on the first night, where they'd spent four hours arguing over immigration. She comes in, does this very boring speech, basically reading out the article she'd written for a German newspaper. (laughs) Again, they're a bit annoyed. She kept on trying to um, sort of divide European leaders, a strategy she must know isn't going to work by this stage, in the name of God, but nevertheless, she keeps on doing it. And on that basis, they then came out and they gave it a proper going over. It does seem to be a bit of a turning point. I thought so, because I think what that entailed was to say, we're not going to do the fudge game with you anymore. And the fudge game was basically, you have to give us Ireland, you're going to give us that backstop, but when it comes to the future sort of relationship, the non-legal part of the agreement, we can fudge that into oblivion. Just go, well, look, it's going to be a wonderful future for the two of us economically, but you don't really say whether you're aligning or not. And that allowed the battle to take place once the deal had been secured and Brexit had happened. The fact that they weren't prepared to do that means they're not going to do that dance with her. That means that things become much more specific now. And specificity is the opposite of what she needs. What she needs is everything to be very fuzzy and vague. Because she can't really pass a specific proposal for the future relationship in the Commons. She can't do hard Brexit. She can't do soft Brexit. She can't do no deal. She needs it to be fuzzy in order to get it past the Commons. And yesterday was the moment that they seemed to be saying, no, we're not going to play that game. The people that benefit from there not being a deal at this stage are basically the people on the sort of extremes of the domestic debate here. So, you know, it works for the people, you know, who really want Remain. To be honest, Remain, absolutely not not soft Brexit, nothing like that. It works for the people who want to have no deal. It doesn't really work for the people in the middle. People in the middle is everyone, you know, from Norway supporters to people who like checkers uh, to Downing Street. So 
that's kind of how that works. I mean, it sort of puts them helping out that camp, but it also puts them helping out Remain. I don't think they're trying to do any of those things. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure why they behave this way. And by the way, I wouldn't discount something that we always do in politics. We always sort of think everything's working to this specific strategic yeah. sort of idea. Sometimes people just get a bit pissed off and things happen in a way that you weren't expecting. You get a bit irritated and you start laying into someone in a way that wasn't predicted and wasn't planned. And this could easily have been one of those occasions. Yeah, I mean, you do wonder whether, I think it was pointed out on Twitter more than once, God forbid that Mog or Johnston should become Prime Minister, but it's going to be a very interesting G7 if they do, when Macron has, in terms, called them liars. You know, yeah. around, around That's going to be the least of the problems. Well, obviously, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, James Brokenshire was on today this morning saying, basically, full steam ahead for checkers, nothing has changed. There is something almost kind of heartwarming about the devotion to this battered plan from mm. May's kind of shrinking central coterie. Is this just putting on a good face? Is there anything to it at all? It's really hard to know now, you know, because she seemed genuinely shocked yesterday, and I presume that was because she wasn't expecting the, the PR impact of it. Yeah. But uh, suddenly I thought, fucking hell, does she actually believe in this thing? Like, I mean, I, I was at least reassured by the idea that she thought it was bullshit. She just, it was the myth that yeah. she needed in order to say that there would be no checks in the RSC. But suddenly you sort of thought, maybe you actually think it's doable. And if you think it's doable, you have not been paying any fucking attention whatsoever to, to the yourself. legal and economic yes. reality of the EU. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's catastrophic. But then, you know, you line it up in this series of failures that she is, like a complete failure to build any bridges at home or to come up with any kind of domestic consensus around what Brexit could be, a complete failure to understand the way the EU operates, not just in terms of how the single market works and what they'd be willing to give into, but also, if you are following David Davis's plan of let's play chicken with them, yeah. you're a fucking idiot, and they've been doing it. If you were to follow her own plan of, well, we're going to start you know, pulling apart European leaders and separating them from Barnier, you're a fucking idiot, because it's been clear that that is not going to be going to work. If you're still following the same idea after two years that is demonstrably not working, then you, know, you really do have to be held accountable for that. She's failed presentationally, she's failed strategically, she's failed politically. It's really hard to think of any single act of diplomacy, which has been more cack-handedly handled than the way that than what she has done. Yeah. You do wonder, kind of, what's what's it doing to her at a psychological level? Because this is a woman whose sort of central, you know, her origin story is dependable head girl, dependable head girl. <laughs> I'll do it, headmistress. I'm the safe pair of hands. And the worse it gets, the more she seems incapable of letting it go because it would entail basically repudiating everything about herself. I'm not the safe pair of hands. I can't do it. Well, it's funny, isn't it? No, she's definitely not a safe pair of hands, but she, but she does have a sort of resilience, doesn't she? I mean, Jesus Christ. She's like she's like the Terminator at the end of the first film. Like, you just... It cannot be killed. Like, she yeah. on and on and on she goes. And so, after a while, you, you do sort of marvel at the sort of stubborn, grey endurance of the machine, you know, that, that makes her operate. So, I mean, you've got to hand that much to her at least. However, we don't know what she's about to say, you know, in this statement. My, my suspicion is, by the way, that... She, and this is, you know, really dangerous. This is really dangerous territory. <laughs> this is going to be happening in literally... Well, it's going to be happening by the time that anyone's heard it. And it's just a guess, and I could be completely wrong. Um, but my suspicion is that she won't really change the strategy that much. She will use it as a presentational opportunity to say, look, I've got headbangers on this side of me. I've got Brussels on the other side. I'm the only one here with a credible plan. I'm going to ramp up no-deal preparations. Of course, I have to because of the kind of attitude that we're getting here. But I am the sensible middle in this thing. I can't see that there's time to suddenly say, you're just going to go for Canada or you're just going to go for Norway. Very unlikely it would be Norway. So that seems to be the only avenue available to her, really. 
Tom Newton Dunn at the Sun said she's got nine days to sort something out before the Tory party conference at which she could be publicly done. Yeah, although people always exaggerate like how important the conferences are, right? No leader really ever gets done in at the conference. We all think that Ian Duncan Smith did, yeah. but he didn't really. He just did a shit speech. You know, the, the quiet man's getting angry or some nonsense like that. And then he got done in actually sort of weeks later. I mean, you know, if she could survive the last conference speech, I think she, she can get through this one because she's got the basic thing on her side of nobody wants that job. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, especially political journalists, because they all have to go to these things. They really emphasise the importance of the event and the truth is those events are almost never important and usually people forget forget them within days of them taking place yeah Bloomberg did talk about what they thought was one glimmer of hope in that May might now come up with some kind of what they called a low visibility regulatory and custom checks for goods travelling from the UK to Ireland i.e. one way Mm. As long as there are Irish seaports, factories, and other places away from the border. Now that sounds like a really complicated, <laughs> abstruse way of saying, "Come on, one more go." What? What if we? What if we balanced mm. the coffee cup on top of the refrigerator, <laughs> and then we use wheels to move the refrigerator? You know, like one of those kind of uh, team bonding games that make you do, where it's like you've got to move, a, you've got to move a pyramid of, of, of egg boxes, but you can only use one hand and one leg. It's, it seems like one of those solutions. It's a pretty good metaphor, actually. You know, They're like, I mean, we, look, we thought that where we were going to get to was some kind of arrangement with uh, Barnier uh, in a couple of weeks' time, after some kind of theatrics. It would basically say, look, we'll, let's say we'll take out the, the customs part. You can pay before, pay after. You're basically nicking bits of the frictionless border stuff that the Brexters were going to use for the north-south border and apply it to the Irish Sea. You go, you pay the customs before and after, you separate it by time, we'll have some checks on regulations on goods, but we'll minimise them as much as possible. Mm. And you use that to sort of show, look, we've both come together in the middle, and that was a, a potentially sellable proposition for the DUP and the ERG headbangers back home. Now, that could still happen, but it looks a lot less likely after yesterday. Do the Brexiters actually want the EU to put up a, a border on the Irish side so that they can then blame the EU for hard borders and... You know, bullying Brussels and all your favourites. Do they actually want that? I don't think that they do, really. I think that they don't... I mean, they don't have a clear idea of what they want except for this general biblical story that they're telling themselves of this is the chance, this is the opportunity. I don't think that they're sadists. I think they're just grotesquely irresponsible. I think there is a difference. Yeah. Well, Theresa May has categorically rejected a second referendum, which is usually the thing that presages a total climb-down. Yeah. Ultimatums are always the last thing before you surrender, aren't they? Hmm. Um, listeners, you'll be able to tell by looking at the timing on this podcast whether we'll be returning in a couple of minutes <laughs> to talk about what Theresa May actually said from her podium. <laughs> and that was all before Theresa May's exciting announcement, which turned out not to be all that exciting, didn't it, Ian? It turned out to be business as usual. Yeah, I thought the prediction went all right, actually. I was, I was pretty happy with that. So... Yeah, look, she is defined by nothing has changed, nothing has changed. So yeah. Almost every time you, you deal with her, that's at least the way she presents things, even when things do change in the background. Um, there were a couple of items um, to sort of point out here. Uh, the first one was there was a really very, very welcome um, uh, confirmation of the fact that EU citizens in the UK would not have any trouble, even in the event of no deal. Yeah. Um, now, this should have come a really long time. I mean, it should have come over two years ago, uh, and it didn't. And, you know, there's there's a certain amount of moral loss to that, which she will never get over, and I think us as a country will never get over. But nevertheless, it is better late than never. Hmm. There's been winks about this for a while. I mean, when we went into the Home Office to sort of look at 
the way that they would put the system in and all of that, when people asked questions about it, they were almost physically wing. You know, they were just being as clear as they could possibly be, going, no, look, this is the way it will operate. Even in the event of no deal, this is the system we're going to use. So we've, we've known, but just to have it said explicitly and certainly was a really important development. It was rather odd that she essentially told the EU leadership that it's actually now their job to sort this out. That's a serious <laughs> engagement. You know, we broke it, you fix it. Um, it I mean, if, as you mentioned as we talked earlier, her stridency may have tipped things in the wrong direction. Was this for home consumption? You know, the idea that uh, his, you know, bulletproof Theresa maintaining her strength in front of the, uh, the, the stroppy Europeans? I don't even think it's even for, do, for domestic consumption. In fact, you know, when I was talking about what I thought it might be like, I was thinking about it in terms of how will she frame herself for the public, you know, her mm. versus the ERG versus Brussels. But in actual fact, it was more narrow um, and less ambitious than even that, where it was basically about how do you frame yourself for the Tory party. Um, yeah. And really, I mean, most of her motivations will be going into the Tory party conference, trying to get as, as plain sailing as she can into those two weeks ahead on the basis of the statement, which uh, on which level it's a very, very, very modest level and one which I frankly couldn't give a damn about, <laughs> but on which level she's probably been successful. However, there were there were sacrifices on the way. The section on um, the Irish border was actually, uh, and especially on the kind of compromises that you might have for a border in the Irish Sea, was actually quite troubling. Because if you look at what she's saying there, she's basically saying that no kind of customs arrangements whatsoever can be applicable there. Now, if you go back to the conversation that you and I were having before she made the speech, we were talking about, well, you know, there are certain, you know, ways that you can fiddle around, like, for instance, on handing in customs declarations before and after rather than at the border and restricting the checks just to the regulation of goods. That was what we expected Barnier's offers to offer to be. By being so explicit about saying we're not going to take any kind of border on customs whatsoever there, she seems to have ruled out any compromise that he can offer. Now, that's doubly troubling because already the Europeans yesterday seem to be ruling out any kind of compromise that she could offer on the stuff around uh, checkers. So both sides in their statements seem to be kind of discouraging the other from making further compromises or from, from investigating further into how those systems might operate. And that, more than anything, I think is what was so concerning about the stuff that we've seen over the last two days. It's a funny way of reaching a compromise. Um, do you think that uh, calling a massive podium speech in the middle of Friday and getting everybody terribly excited, was this particularly worth it? I mean, she had to say something, but did she necessarily have to have us in a position where we were guessing, is it going to be resignation? Is it going to be general election? Have we gone to war with somebody? You know, it didn't really seem to match up to the, you know, standing in front of two flags with your, uh, with your wooden podium. No, it didn't. I mean, especially when, given the fact that Downing Street apparently lost power, you <laughs> know, in the moment leading up to it. So, you know, it, it was late on that basis and, of course, provided like another mountain full of metaphors that we can use. If you ever thought... You could, her leadership is. Yeah, if anything could ever beat the letters falling off her, her um, kind of wall hanging at the conference, the actual loss of power. When <laughs> suppose, it's just... You, not only could you not make it up, why would you want to make it up? Indeed. Look, I mean, it, it, nothing has changed in our conclusion as to how she has conducted herself through this thing um, from before to after that statement was made. Nothing yeah. has changed seemingly in the policy. I mean, she, she, it, it, she remains just someone that, I mean, just on a basic level of presentation, is so unconvincing. You just you have so little faith in her ability to do this stuff, let alone the actions themselves. So we're, we're in that same place. But I have to say that the strength of the wording 
did concern me. I mean, I, you know, you remember like about sort of six weeks ago when we were on the podcast and I sort of said, I, we had a conversation where I sort of said, look, I think we're above 51% chance of, of no deal here, which is not my instinct. My instinct is wherever there are two sides who want a deal, who are worried about the repercussions of no deal, they will find a way to get a deal. So the, the, the push, the momentum must be towards a deal. And yet, you look at this, what she said when she was by that podium, she rules out completely any kind of Norway EEA thing saying it's not Brexit, you know, the standard guff that we hear, if you can't do that because of freedom of movement, blah, blah, blah. She completely rules out having any kind of border in the Irish Sea, which um, you will have if you've signed up to the backstop and you pursue a Canada-type agreement. She knows that Chequers has been ruled out by Europe. So you just go down the list and you're like, every single one of these options is impossible, completely impossible, if these people are all telling the truth. If, you know, her and Donald Tusk and all the rest are all telling the truth. So you look at it now and just think the gulf between her position and theirs, no matter how much people want to deal, I've got to say, genuinely, objectively speaking, looking at it, it's really hard to see how they get it. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> well, look, Ian... Have a lovely weekend, mate. Have a <laughs> great time. Um, we'll be back on the podcast on Wednesday to pick up this. I'm sure absolutely everything will have changed by Wednesday. Huge, huge things will have changed. There'll be major, there'll be major progress by then. It'll all be fine by then. Yeah, yeah but at least on, looking on the bright side, you have at least uh, invented the idea of the Theresa Manator. So that's okay. So we're, we're, we're in credit now. Have a great weekend, Ian. Bye-bye. Yeah. Cheers, mate.